From our WFUV studios in the Bronx, New York, it's the Pick and Pot. Drop us a voicemail at 347-903-WFUV. Now, here are your hosts, Kenny Ducey and Matt Rosenfeld. July 2nd, 2014 on the Pick and Pod. Welcome in. Just Kenny Ducey here, Matt Rosenfeld. And Kevin Kelly absent for this one. Our guest today, Tim Bontemps of the New York Post, at Tim Bontemps on Twitter. He broke the Jason Kidd story. And Tim, I have to ask you, because uh, because you brought this up when uh, we were planning this interview, it, you, you finally got to eat tonight, just recently, actually. I'm curious how many hours of sleep that you've had over the past three days and how many meals that you've eaten. <laughs> I can't guess it's been many. That's a good question. Um... How many meals I've ate and how many hours I've slept. I slept about, um, probably 12 hours total over the last three days, I would say. Probably about four, between four, yeah, between 12 and 15 hours, I guess. It's a great week right there. And, uh, yeah, and, uh, Let's see. Last three days, I've probably had. Today, I actually had three square meals for the first time in a long time, just because of the way the day broke down. But that, but like yesterday, I didn't eat. And, so and then you're off so to summer I, league. I guess. So the yeah. So runs. and then I'm off the summer league. So yeah, kind of. These uh, these next couple weeks are pretty always pretty hectic. Um, Irregardless of you know obviously what happened with the Nets the last few days you know the beginning of free agency is always crazy for any NBA guy um, but by you know kind of mid to late July you know more technically late July things are pretty calm and uh, you know they kind of slow down until September. Well, it kind of puts in perspective like what the Nets are doing this off season, and we thought the Knicks would be the tactic one because of Carmelo and all the decisions, and they didn't have a head coach. Now the Nets don't have a head coach, and uh, j- just to go into that a little bit here, Tim, you know, you break the story a couple of days ago. Billy King said he's known for about a week. Uh, well, what happens in between Billy King finding out and this news coming out uh, to the public? And, and was there any ground broken by Billy King or by Jason Kidd, I guess, to, to kind of get a, a management position there? Or was it really set in stone for that long? Um, well, what I, actually, um, Billy King... Billy King only knew for a couple days before the story came out that um, that that this was that this had happened. Um, he 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 found out last Wednesday um, that this had taken place not long before that. Uh, this being Jason Kidd sitting down with uh, Dmitry Razumov and uh, you know the the next chairman of the board. And um, and then giving him a series of demands, including um, asking for control of basketball operations, and uh, you know, and, and being put above Billy King in the organizational hierarchy. Um, so that that happened, and then once once he was denied those. Um, once he was denied those things by ownership, that's when the Bucks came in and asked for permission. And I believe when they asked for permission is when Billy King was kind of looped into what 
what happened, I believe, is the way it worked out. And then, obviously, from there, he met, Jason met with uh, the Bucks owners, and, you know, that, that led to the series of events that led us to today when he got introduced as the latest head coach of the Bucks. Tim, how much of it was Jason Kidd and Billy King just not seeing eye-to-eye, and how much of it was Jason Kidd seeing Jabari Parker, Larry Sanders, a bunch of young talent on the Bucks, an owner he liked, and really being intrigued by that situation? I think it was a combination of the two. Um, I think that the fact that the owner of the Bucks, uh, Mark Lazary, one of the co-owners, I should say, who is a good friend of Jason's, um, the fact that he admitted Jason's agent contacted him today, um, was the first one to contact him about the prospect of coaching the Bucks. Um, kind of, for me, sets up the the timeline of events, which is that, you know, Jason probably went into that meeting with the Nets thinking that, okay, if this works out, great, I stay with the Nets. If it doesn't work out, I've got this Bucks offer in my pocket that I'm pretty confident it's going to work out for me, and then I can go work for this guy that I like, and I can play, I can coach these young players and have a lot of talent. Um, so it was kind of a best of both worlds situation, probably for him at that point. Um, you know, that seems to be kind of a logical way that it played out, and I think the fact that you know there was a lot of tension within the organization back earlier in the earlier parts of the season probably you know, help contribute to him thinking this was a avenue worth pursuing. You mentioned the front office job that he wanted with the Nets. We heard those, you know, early rumors that he had been offered one with the Bucks didn't turn out to be true, at least to our knowledge. Uh, so how quickly, if at, if really quickly at all, I mean, can Jason Kidd expect to get a front office job with the Milwaukee Bucks in the next couple, next couple of years here? Well, that's kind of the... That's kind of the great unknown about this situation so far. Um, today, he and the Bucks made it very clear that you know, he's just a coach. Jason, I think, said the phrase, I'm a coach or I'm just a coach, probably 20 times, both during the interview, uh, to televised force the interview, and then the breakout session uh, with reporters. Um, I would say that... Uh, I would say that probably the, I think the prevailing thought around the league is that Jason is eventually going to be elevated to some kind of management position, be it a, um, a presidency title, um, in addition to his coaching duties or something else. Um, you know, I, he, he obviously has got a great relationship with ownership and, you know, it's, it, you would think that, there was enough reporting about that in the first place that it would, it's, you know, that there's some, you know, where there's smoke, there's usually some fire too. And I would imagine that, you know, there's a good chance that, that the things that people have kind of assumed about the way this will play out, like you said, being that he'll eventually have that kind of role um, in Milwaukee will, will probably happen at some point down the road. And Tim, the guy now who steps in uh, for the Brooklyn Nets head coaching is Lionel Hollins. Uh, is this the right move to you? I mean, it does seem like pretty much the logical move, although uh, Mark Jackson was out there, a couple of fans, or not a couple, I mean a good amount of fans maybe wanted him to come back to New York. 
uh, in some form in Coach Brooklyn. I mean, but you would have made this move, I, I feel like, would you? Yeah, I think it's a very, I think it's a very logical hire. Um, Lionel Hollins is a guy who is going to get along well with Billy King. Um, they have kind of a similar personality and a similar background. Um, so I think that's a good fit. Um, I think that Lionel is a good coach. Um, you know, regardless of whatever issues there were in Memphis that led to them deciding to go in a different direction, um, no one, no one ever questioned whether he was a good coach or not. I mean, I, I think, you know, I think there was, I think we've seen anybody who's kind of paid attention to what's happened in Memphis over the last, you know, 12 or 18 months could kind of see that, you know, it's probably not on Lionel how things ended uh, with the Grizzlies for him. Um, you know, his contract expired. He became a free agent, and they chose to elevate an assistant um, that probably better aligned with what they were looking for. Um, but, he, you know, he, his last, I think, the five full years he was with Memphis, they won more games each year. Um, they're a very good defensive team. They're a hard-nosed team. Uh, those are things that, that Billy King has talked a lot about wanting. Um, both last year when he started for a coach as well as this year. Um, Lionel, a lot of players really like Lionel. He's going to have the respect, I would think, of a veteran team. Um, he's a well-respected guy around the league. He's a good guy. Um, he's a former player, which should never hurts. Um, so I, I think it's a good hire. I, I think especially, especially given the situation the Nets were in, the timing of when Jason left for Milwaukee with free agency upon us, you know, basically, you know, I think they announced his hiring Monday evening, you know, just before free agency started. So, you know, there's a lot of things that had to happen. Um, you know, and the free agency isn't going to stop for the Nets to complete a coaching search. So I think that, you know, getting a, getting a good, solid veteran coach that, could step in and command the respect of the players and probably win, you know, you would think win at least as many games as they won with Jason last year, if not, if not more, um, if not significantly more, if things break right. Um, you know, I think it's definitely a, a strong hire for him. Tim, you say words like a lot and players and team. Uh, there are a lot of players from last year's team that are no longer going to be Brooklyn Nets. We know about Andre Blatch likely not becoming a net. Uh, Sean Livingston agrees to go to the Warriors with the uh, mid-level exception that the Nets were hoping to use on him. They, they can't use that uh, on him anymore. Paul Pierce, there are uh, reportedly seven teams, that, You know, one of them being the Nets, interested in him. All sorts of questions revolving around the Nets right now. Um, but I guess before we address Paul Pierce uh, or the holes that maybe some of those other guys leave, that mini mid-level exception of around $10 million for three years, what do the Nets do with that money? Well, I would, I would actually kind of, challenge, um, kind of challenge one thing that you, you said. I, I mean, I, I, think most of the, I think most of the Nets are going to be back. Um, they currently have um, 11 guys under contract. Um, 
Or no, they, yeah, they have 10, actually. And they're going to have 11 when they sign uh, at least one of their draft picks, probably Markel Brown um, from Oklahoma State, a combo guard. Um, and, yeah, Sean Livingston signed with Golden State, and Andrew Vlash won't be back, almost certainly. But they would love to have Pierce back, and they'd love to have Alan Anderson back. And if they sign those two guys and they – you know, they sign one or two of their picks. They only have one or two open roster spots, so they'll probably make a couple of small trades or something. But I don't. I, I would expect most of this crew to be back um, next season. Um, as for what what I think they're going to do with the minimum level exception, um, they could go a lot of different routes with it. I think the most likely route is that they sign Boyan Bogdanovich. Um, I, and I shouldn't say probably most likely. I, I, I think the, I think right now the, 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 the favored outcome on a, you know, on a probability scale is that they, they, they signed Bogdanovich with that exception. Um, Bogdanovich is the first round, uh, second round pick in 2011. He was the first pick of the second round. Uh, he just turned 25 this spring. He's played the last three years for Fenerbahce, one of the, top teams in Europe, one of the top Turkish teams that won the Turkish League this year under some controversial circumstances. And uh, he's a very talented wing that can shoot for three and to score and can, can uh, you know, do a lot of stuff offensively. And uh, I think they nearly, they nearly came to an agreement with him last summer before things fell apart, and then they signed Andre Kirilenko. And I would not be at all surprised if they, uh, if they wind up locking up uh, Bogdanovich um, this summer and uh, going that route with their with their exception, get them another young guy as they try to get younger and uh, get them some more shooting on the perimeter. I mean, this market is so weird when we talk about the mini level exception here and just thinking about $10 million over three years. I mean, what, what do you think Paul Pierce uh, commands? And ultimately, you said most of these guys you thought would be back. Is he one of those guys that you expect back with the Brooklyn Nets? I think so. Um, I, I, I've been writing for six or seven weeks that uh, I've been told since really before the end of the playoff run for the Nets that, that Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett were both going to be back. Um, that's all up in the air, though, now with the, the, everything that's happened the last, um, the last you know, four or five days. Um, I uh, I think Pierce will probably be back. If I had to put a probability scale on it, I'd probably say something like, you know, maybe 60, 40. Um, the Nets can obviously have his bird rights. He could pay him more than other teams. But, you know, he it, it, with, what, with everything that's happened, you know, maybe things will get thrown up in the air a little bit, and he might, you know, more consider his other options than maybe he would have before. But... But I, I do think he'll he'll eventually be back, and I would imagine he'll probably get somewhere between five and six a year um, on the open market. I, I could see the Nets paying him seven or eight to make sure that they hang on to him and give him a shorter deal. You know, maybe two years at sixteen million, you know, eight million a year, or something like that. Um, but. The, the minimum level, it's kind of weird to read the whole market um, and see where things are going to be at. Like Jody Meeks signed for 
three years and I think nineteen million. I would have thought he'd have been a guy that would have yeah, commanded was, a minimum level exception for the team. So, it, yeah, it. I was talking about it with somebody yesterday. It, there, there's a lot of teams with a lot of money, and there's only so many guys to go around that are worth spending it on. And so, as the cap goes up every year you're going to find that teams are just looking to spend money. I mean, we're talking about Gordon and, Hayward maybe getting a max deal here. I mean, what, what's what's the world come to? Well, that that's a little more complicated. Um, I agree that's more money than he should get. But, right, but, they're trying to shy him away from Utah. Yeah, the, the, the restricted free agent tag makes that kind of interesting. Guys like Gordon Hayward and, and Greg Monroe, um, those are two talented guys that – you know, if a team wants to sign them, the only way they're going to realistically be able to sign them is if they give them a max offer sheet and kind of dare dare the, their respective teams into matching them or, you know, threaten the offer sheet and try to orchestrate a sign-and-trade. So that is the situation that those kind of teams are in. And, uh, you know, that's why, like Cleveland, if they need a wing – if they're not going to get LeBron, which you know they're almost certain, certainly not at this point, I would think. Um, you know, going after Gordon Hayward to pair with Kyrie and Andrew Wiggins and Anthony Bennett and Tristan Thompson, and if they keep Waiters, Deion Waiters, I mean that gives them a another good young player to add to that core, and then you know they can kind of grow together now that they've got Kyrie locked up for a long time. So. Um, but yeah, you're, but your but your overall point is that I don't know. I mean, free agency is just silly so far, and you know, like I would have guessed that Sean Livingston would have got more money than Jody Meeks, and you know, just as one example. So it, it's kind of hard on a case by case basis to figure out what guys are going to get signed for and what guys aren't, because all it takes is one one outlier team to do something crazy, and then all of a sudden a guy. You know, he's making a lot more money than anybody thought he was going to. Tim, we got to touch on a couple of things that came out today, and specifically tonight, really, right before we, we spoke. Uh, the first thing I want to bring up is Kyle Lowry re-signing with the Raptors, uh, reportedly, uh, for four years. D- do you like him being a little... You know, he does get the the ETO after uh, three years, I believe, was in there. Uh, but, I mean, he's being loyal to Toronto. The Miami Heat were a team that, that might have wanted him. Does this kind of solidify Toronto's, you know, at least three-year prospects for for you? Yeah, I think so. Um, I like I like Toronto. What Toronto's done, um, I thought I thought they were one of the nice stories of of last season. They have an unbelievable fan base um, up there. Uh, Kyle Lowry's a, a real nice player. Uh, it was big that they locked him up, especially because Toronto struggled at times to keep free agents um, that they want to keep. Um, so getting getting Kyle, their their best player, um, to resign was big. That was that was something they needed to do. Um, they got him and Demar Derozan uh, together in the backcourt. Um, they've got Terrence Ross on the wing, who's a really athletic guy that can shoot it and you know, has got the chance to become a much better player. Um got Jonas Valanciunas in the middle, who I'm a huge fan of. I think he's got a chance to be a star if he continues to develop. Um, Amir Johnson's a nice power forward. 
Um, you know, they, they still need they, they still need to keep some of their restricted free agents. Uh, Patrick Patterson is a, a really good third big man. Um, Grievous Vasquez is a great third guard. So they have some they have some things they have to do, but I think that, you know, getting Lowry back was huge and uh yeah, I think they're you know, I think if you look at the next three years, I think if you know, you would have to say if any team in the in the uh Atlantic division is gonna win the division multiple times, you know, you would think it's gonna be the Raptors. Now, Tim, the the other big story happening uh, tonight, at least, is Jamal Crawford rumored to be uh, on the trading block, according to uh, Woj. And, I mean, I can't really think of a ton of places that would suit him well, considering, well, maybe it's just my mindset, because there are really a certain amount of teams that are in play with free agency, and there are maybe other guys we're not thinking of that are that are looking to make a move, maybe like a Jamal Crawford. Where, where could you see him going in the world that he was dealt from the Clippers? Well, that's more of a move that's dependent on the other team involved, um, because he uh, he would be moved as part of a signing trade, almost certainly. They're not just going to to give away. Jamal Crawford, but um, if they, you know, mainly I think if they want to sign a wing, like the the, the Clippers really want to sign a wing, um, another wing player, and if they're going to do that, they're almost certainly going to have to do a sign and trade. And of their of their assets, Jamal is the most movable. Um, they've got Matt Barnes, they've got uh, Jared Dudley. Uh, but those guys aren't really as attractive, especially Dudley coming off probably the worst year of his career. Um, those guys are not as attractive to move as um, as Jamal, who is a you know an intriguing player. He's he's a, obviously one of the most uh, fun players for fans to watch in the league. Um, he's a real you know real flashy guy who can you know make some spectacular shots and. You know, can, can, you know, it's just a fun guy to watch. Um, even at this, you know, he's gonna, you know, he just turned 34 this year, so it's not like he's a a spring chicken anymore. But he's still a a very nice player. Um, you know, one thing, you know, speaking of Paul Pierce, you know, if if Paul Pierce was uh, was interested in going to the Clippers, which if he does leave the Nets, I think the Clippers and probably the Bulls, they don't get mellow or the two most likely destinations for him. Um, I think if, I think if that was the case, I think that you could see, um, you know, you could maybe see a Jamal Crawford and say Reggie Bullock for, for Paul Pierce um, trade, you know, to give you another wing, a young wing, and then, a, you know, a scoring guard to, uh, you know, to come off the bench and, and, and score for the Nets. You know, I could maybe see them doing something like that. Um, if if they decide, if Pierce decides he wants to leave and, you know, wants to get some money, you know, that for that's one example of a kind of move that I could see them making with Crawford. And, you know, maybe they could also, you know, there's guys like Luol Bang out there, some other guys in the wings, maybe Trevor Ariza. You know, they might try to go after uh, the Clippers where, where Jamal might be dangled as a piece. But, um you know, I also think it's going to be hard for Jamal to get an extension, given that he's, you know, like 34 and he's going to be a 35-year-old guard. Um, 
you know, next summer, you know, it's going to be hard for somebody to commit to sign him for another, you know, three or four years after after that. You know, it's, that's, that's probably, it's going to be probably a hard ask for him. Another exciting guard, Tim, Lance Stevenson, and he's only 23 years old. Obviously, we know what he brings on the court um, it, well, in, in a few ways. I mean, he's a very athletic player. Uh, he showed to be a, a critical part of Indiana's offense uh, at times last year. That was the number one. Uh, they were the number one team in the East. And $44 million for five years the Pacers reportedly offer him. Uh, is that enough to keep Lance around considering the fact that uh, we're not really sure there's a great market for him, and you know that would mean that there's not a lot of leverage to be found with Indiana. Lance might be the most uh, fascinating free agent case of the entire summer. Um, I, I don't know what his market is. Um, his market by talent is is you know he's a max player. I mean, he's just a phenomenal, phenomenal talent. Um, but I don't know if I don't know if anyone is going to be willing to take a chance on him um, for the kind of money that they're going to need to commit. Um, you look at the situation he was in in Indiana. He was the third or fourth option. They had a very strong locker room. They had a strong front office, a coach that was in place. A lot of people there all positioned to try to help him and kind of get him a support system. And it worked for the most part, even though he had momentary issues here and there, like uh, the stuff he had happening with LeBron during the Easter Conference Finals. Um, you know, I know the Lakers have dabbled around there, and the, I think the Bobs are the Hornets, I should say. Now, now have as well, um, but you know that's a big ask to say you know we're going to commit you know fifty, sixty million dollars to a guy that has had the kind of issues over the years that Lance has. Um, so I'm pretty fascinated to see what his market turns out to be. I do think at the end of the day, he's going to end up staying with the Pacers. Um, I think they'll find a way to get it done, and he'll find a way to stay there, um, either through a combination of his market just not being that strong, or you know maybe the, the paces go up a little bit higher than they would maybe like to because they know what they've got. But um, I would be pretty surprised if some team swoops in and offers him, you know, close to a max deal to go go play for them. I I just don't see that really happening. Now, Tim, uh, before we get chat here, I want to shift to one more player that I think is the elephant in the room at this point, Carmelo Anthony. Uh, he's been in the midst of meetings. He goes to meet with Houston today. We get that somewhat comical story that they put a poster of him with the number seven jersey. And <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's just going to like, he's going to go around chasing Jeremy Lin out of towns for the rest of his career, no? <laughs> I mean, it's crazy. I think that would be That would be pretty funny. He did that again. Well, now he, Lynn would have to go to another team in a sign and trades um, to, to make that happen right. to give the cap space. So that that would never happen for them and then to play on the the same team seemingly. But right. um, he does right. meet with Houston. He meets with Dallas. Uh, well, I guess two days ago now. Um, you know, what are your initial impressions about? 
Carmelo's kind of uh, three agent tour. He's getting he's getting the roll the red carpet rolled out. Uh, he's getting all this superstar treatment, and yet he's talked about taking a pay cut. Those two don't usually go hand in hand, do they? Well, Carmelo's talked about wanting to win, and you know he might not be able to sign for the full money he wants if he wants to win. Um, I thought on his free agency from the beginning that there was two options, realistically, the the Knicks and the Bulls. I don't think there's a third one, really. Um, the Rockets uh, the Rockets are intriguing on the basketball level. Uh, I would think Carmelo doesn't necessarily want to live in Houston. And um, L.A. just doesn't – I don't think L.A. is going to be able to sign anybody with Kobe there as hopple as he is. So, you know, you're looking at the Knicks – and you're looking at the Bulls then, and, uh, you know, I, I thought for a while he was going to end up with the Bulls. Um, they would do a sign trade with the Knicks, and he would get his money, and the Knicks would get some assets um, to try to um, expedite their uh, rebuilding process and to, uh, you know, kind of reset things going into the next summer when, you know, a ton of guys are going to be free agents and, Phil Jackson can kind of, you know, reset the roster. Um, but it's going to be hard for the Bulls to get anywhere near, you know, even a max salary in that first year. And they already lose the fifth year that the Knicks can give him instead. So, um, you know, a lot of indications are right now that he'll, he'll go back to the Knicks and stay there. But, um, you know, we'll have to just wait and see how uh, – how things play out over the next few days. Well, the one guy I actually totally blanked on, uh, which will be the real last player we talk about, is LeBron, of course, <laughs> um, because I, I'm thinking about this story that comes out today uh, from Chris Broussard, ESPN, where uh, the, we all know the big three met. They had these uh, these discussions, and um, you know he, he kind of painted LeBron out to be this type of guy who, okay, get me my max deal or get me out of here. Um, you know, the type of money that Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh are trying to uh, get. Uh, you know, they're, they're basically trying to just secure their three- to four-year financial security. Um, Tim, that's not going to work with LeBron, right? Because if LeBron signs a max deal or something close to max, uh, with Wade and Bosh taking you know, an average of, I think, 23 or $24 million a, a year uh, combined, how in the world can this team have success past the next year even i mean how can they guarantee a final strip this year you know you know no less two or three years down the road why would lebron want to sign with the heat well that's kind of the that's kind of the question facing pat riley he's got to find a way to get some extra players around him um if those guys take less money um you know that should be enough for for them to be able to sign two or three more players and that's really what they need. They need. They just need more depth. They don't need. They don't need uh, superstars. They just need solid depth guys. Um, last year during the finals, during the you know when they were playing the Spurs, you know they just didn't. The Spurs had you know thirteen or fourteen of the best eighteen players in the series, and you know. The, the Heat just can't. They're not going to be able to win that way. The league has gotten too much better. Um, 
And those guys have gotten a little worse. You know, it's particularly Wade. You know, LeBron and Bosch are still probably right at the tail end of their prime. At least for Bosch, LeBron might never fade off. But um, Wade has clearly lost a step, and they have to compensate for that. You know, they have to get some more pieces around those guys so that they don't have to carry quite as much of a burden, particularly LeBron. That's why I think they'd really like to get somebody like Trevor Ariza or Luol Deng um, to, to help them on the wings and give LeBron some cover um, so he can take more of a break during games. And uh, that way, when they get into the playoffs and they get deep into the playoffs, they still have some extra gas, extra gas left in the tank to help them, uh, you know, get over the hub and, you know, get that next title. Well, who else is a big contender in this LeBron race, though? Uh, because you mentioned before that the Cavaliers are, are probably out of it at this point. And, I mean, the Lakers are said to be, you know, going all out, but I don't really see that as a realistic possibility. I mean, it does seem like, it, it, much like Melo's case, the options are pretty narrow at this point. Yeah, I think he's almost definitely going to go back to Miami. Um, I thought the moment all three of those guys opted out, it, it made it extremely likely they weren't going anywhere. Um, you know, there's a small chance you can maybe go want to play for the Clippers, play with Doc, and play with Chris Paul, who's one of his best friends. You know, the, the Clippers have the uh, Blake Griffin that they could float out there, and you know, if you put Blake in a trade package for LeBron, you know, that that's probably enough for the Heat to go. You know, all right, I think we can do that. Um, given how much younger Blake is and uh, how talented he is, you know that's that's not a bad signing trade. Um, so that's that's one option. Um, you know, the Bulls maybe could be an option, but it's hard to see him going there because of the, the history with Jordan. It would be tougher to walk in there to win. Uh, like Carmelo, I'm not sure. I'm not sure LeBron wants to live in Houston, so that city could be up in the air. So. You know, there aren't many options for him, and that's why it's more, I think most of this is more on Riley needing to get, Pat Riley needing to get more talent uh, to South Beach to give LeBron and surround him and Wade and Bosch, and then LeBron will be back, and the uh, Heat will be back deep into May and June again next year. Well, there aren't many other options uh, to touch on here. I mean, I think we've pretty much covered everything in the NBA so far. Uh, so, Tim, uh, you know, that was great of you to do on what you said was about an average of three or four hours of sleep a night, uh, which was <laughs> phenomenal. Tim Bontemps of the New York Post covering the Brooklyn Nets uh, and the NBA. Thank you so much, man. Appreciate it. Go follow him on Twitter at Tim Bontemps. Happy to do it, man. Anytime.